0: Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org.
1: Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 2. This is the word of God. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their course from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. and you perish in the way, for his wrath is kindled, quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him.
0: Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your word now, and we pray that you do your work in us through it, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts this morning. Make us more like Christ. Draw us to him. We pray this for your glory and for our joy that it would increase in you. Amen. You may be seated. In his commentary on the Psalms, Steve Lawson, a famous Bible preacher tells a story from the French Revolution. During the tumult, a revolutionary stormed the Bastille in Paris and sought to remove every vestige of law and order from the eyes of his countrymen. The revolutionary scaled the cathedral of Notre Dame and tore down the cross from atop its spire, dashing it to pieces on the ground. The cross representing the authority of God, laid demolished on the ground for everyone to see. Turning to a poor peasant, the revolter boasted, we are going to pull down all that reminds you of God. But from the crowd came a challenging reply. Citizen, then you might as well pull down the stars themselves. This story from the French Revolution illustrates for us sinful humans' natural tendency to rebel against God's rule. To burst his bonds apart. To be enslaved by God. To not be enslaved by God. But as the wise citizen replied, We shall not be able to free ourselves from his rule and reign, for he is our maker The maker of the heavens and the earth. And where can we go from his dominion? Can we pull down the stars? On the contrary, it is to him that we go for refuge. Today, we're finishing a mini-series we've done in the book of Psalms in the Bible. Our focus today is on chapter 2. Psalm 2 is David's declaration about the futility of the nations rebelling against the Lord. David points us to the assurance that there is a sovereign king that we can take refuge in. In the midst of the nations raging, Psalm 2 reminds us that we have a refuge. And that refuge is Jesus Christ. God's anointed son sent to rescue sinners, to call the nations to obedience, and one day to judge those that remain in rebellion against him. Though the nations rise up against God and his anointed, it's a failing coup. Now, This mini-series in Psalms has been slightly different than we're used to. It's less a systematic, tied-together journey, like many other books of the Bible when we preach through them. And more standalone sermons that we've hit different topics that are important for our souls to grapple with. And one of the things that I love about the Psalms is how the route they take to our soul is generally raw, many times emotional, and they're so intuitive to our human experience in this present age. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? He who sits in the heavens laughs, it says. Kiss the sun lest he be angry with you. And blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's an element in these statements that helps us relate with the text. There's an added humanity to them that draws us in. The Psalms are really wonderful at this. And today, as we consider a failing coup, we will see the nations raging, but that God's sovereign rule is reigning and that his king is not feigning, his refuge never changing. Psalm 2, along with Psalm 1, serves as an intro into the book of Psalms as a whole. Psalm one's kind of the first-person account looking at how the righteous one lives and how the wicked one lives. Psalm 2 takes sort of a national, international look at the same perspective. How will nations live who recognize God's rule and reign? And what does it look like when they don't? Number one, in our human experience, the nations are raging. Now, this psalm originally was likely a coronation song for King David when he was anointed king over God's chosen nation, Israel. Now, by the time that David became king and sat on the throne in Jerusalem, he would have been very familiar with the surrounding nations raging and banding together against the Lord. David wasn't a stranger to the struggle and the chaos that the raging nations caused. Follow along as I read verses 1 through 3 again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. These verses show us the problem of the nations and individuals rebelling and raging against God. Do any of us really need any help thinking of nations raging in our current time? The raging and plotting of the nations is top of mind lately. Consider the coup in Myanmar. The military commanders overthrowing the sitting government is a show of pride and power that's led to death, destruction, oppression, and the troublesome withdrawal of troops, allied troops from Afghanistan. Two decades of their presence seeking to establish a new government Law and order, undone in just days. Think of China's government, their growing global dominance and the godless worldview that permeates everything that they do. We are surrounded by raging governments. Governments raging against God's rule. Government seeking not to be governed by his natural law. Now raging is given helpful context at the end of this first stanza in verse 3. It says, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The nations raging against God and his anointed means they cast off his natural law. That is a means of preserving life and providing flourishing. That's what God intends Through his law. Nations and individuals are prone to rebel against the Lord. Every one of us. An individual does this anytime they sin. When they choose disobedience to God and his commands that are for their good... And to tell to tell an unregenerate person, somebody that's not saved, hasn't put their faith in Jesus, that they need a savior is blasphemous to their God of self-governance. Governments rage against God when they sanction sin. When they promote evil instead of restraining it, which is their God-given role. Now sin, in either an individual or a national sense, is the ultimate madness. God gives us laws for life. And sinful man and sinful government rejects that and seeks to make their own way. But it's madness, because that's not how he designed us. He's our creator. He knows us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. Now raging governments and rebellious humans are not new things. This was the way of Adam in the garden, the beginning of the story. He went out on his own to make a way separate from God. Now we could go on and on in the history of the world and talk about nations that have raged and plotted. Where do they all end up? done, over. They end up being done ruling, overcome by another ideology, another political party or platform, another ruler. Now many times scripture reveals this is part of God's judgment of a nation's wickedness. Do we even need to look outside of our own country to see this? The second problem that I think this this psalm helps us see is that we all face an ongoing temptation to seek refuge in the wrong things. As Christians in America, it's been easy to seek refuge in government or political candidates. Much ink has been spilled about the way that the political parties began marketing themselves to the religious groups in America in the late 20th century. And we would be duped if we didn't see our own United States government plotting and conspiring against the Lord and his rule. Abortion, killing image bearers in the womb. Sanctioning the disordering of gender and marriage promoting different forms of injustice, the history of slavery and race segregation in America that were propagated by our government for decades and decades. In the midst of so much chaos and so much confusion, I think it's easy to get mixed up about who is our refuge. Now, in some sense, as an American... Doesn't it feel like we've been taught that the safe place in the world is America? It is in many senses, right? The refuge from political problems is is the U.S., right? It's other countries that are the problem. Now, America has in its history done some things to honor God's law well. But more and more, we're losing that. And as Christians, are we to look to our government as our refuge? Is USA our chant? I love a good USA chant. Do we herald the donkey or the elephant? Will the right politician be our deliverer and rescue us? Now, political pundits and social media warriors would have you believe the answer is yes. Use your vote or it's all going to come crashing down. Don't listen to the madness. We live in an age between the Garden of Eden and the second coming of Christ that's marked by the nations raging against God and his rule over them. That looks like nations rising and falling throughout the history of the world. And this age is marked by image bearers, you and I, looking for refuge in the wrong things. We turn to alcohol and sex, power, prestige, political rulers, and and a host of other things. Instead of the king in the heavens. But though the nations rage, God's sovereign rule is reigning. Number 2 follow along, verses 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now the nations are... <laughs> They're raging against him, and God laughs at them. God's answer to their rebellion is laughter. He holds them in derision. That means that he mocks them. Now, God's response to the nation's raging is to point to his sovereignty and power over them. He's not surprised or overwhelmed at the raging of the nation's. He isn't sitting in the heavens trembling and scared. He isn't disengaged and caught off guard by their attempts to burst his bonds apart. No, God's acts are terrible and mighty. When God lets out his wrath, men are troubled and even nature stands aghast. The very mountains melt at his presence and the seas flee from before him. Consider the ancient nation of Assyria and their leader Sennacherib. This account is found in 2 Kings in the Old Testament, chapter 19. It gives us some details of this leader who stood against the Lord and defied and mocked his rule and power. Sennacherib was laying siege to the the, the remaining remnant of Israel, which was the tribe of Judah. And they had to leave. So Sennacherib and his Assyrian army had to leave and go fight another battle. And this is what Sennacherib had his messenger tell Hezekiah, the Lord's prophet and king. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all, all lands, devoting them to destruction, and shall you be delivered? After this blasphemous comparison, this is what the Lord did. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. And when he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, his sons struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. Biblical history has many examples of nations being humbled by the mighty hand of God. Even God's chosen nation, Israel. David was anointed to lead this nation. God had a covenant with this nation like no other nation in the history of the world. And what happened? God used other wicked nations to judge Israel his own nation because they were raging against him, seeking to burst his bonds apart and go their own way. So we see our hope is not ultimately in the right earthly government now. And it's easy to be upset, to be discouraged and to feel hopeless. But if God is not dismayed at the nations raging against him then neither should we be. Yes, we weep with those who weep, who live under oppressive and wicked regimes. We are saddened when injustice is perpetrated and promoted even. And we want to work for justice in practical ways. But God has been at work for his purposes throughout all time. This isn't suddenly different today. Nations rise and fall. God is at work through it all. A great example of faith in God through the nations, or though the nations are raging, was on display recently as I sat down for lunch with a friend of mine. My friend and his wife and his kids were in a foreign country seeking to announce the reign of our great king. When they were forced to leave because of dangerous upheaval in the government there. They had spent many, many months preparing to be there. They were learning the language and developing relationships with people native to the country. And then they had to leave. I went into this lunch thinking, man, I'm going to need to be comforting and reassuring this guy's really going to be down. But I sat with my friend, and I was encouraged by him. He wasn't dismayed. He said, we know that God's doing something, and we, all, we don't always understand that. We don't always see how he's working and exactly what he's doing, but we trust him. We still want to go be with this people group, and we'll see where he guides us. Because God's sovereign rule is reigning, brothers and sisters, we are not to be dismayed. We have great reason for hope. We can have comfort. And God has made a way for us to have a refuge in a troublesome age. Verse 6. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Because of his sovereign rule, we are not to be dismayed. Because God has set his king on Zion, his holy hill. Though the nations are raging, God's sovereign rule is reigning through his king, who is not feigning. Number three, verses seven through nine. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. I worked at a summer camp for parts of two summers in college. And one of the things that was popular among teens at the time was something called shadow boxing. I don't know if anybody's heard of that. Shadow boxing was like feigning that you were throwing punches at someone. Sometimes teens would do it to get a reaction from me, their camp counselor. And sometimes they would have all-out boxing matches where not a punch was actually landed. Now, perhaps unwisely, my college self allowed it. The ones that were really good at it, you could hardly tell that they were faking it. And it was fun to watch. Now, occasionally they would accidentally land some fist on flesh, and then it usually escalated into a melee of fighting. You can see why as a new counselor they told me I shouldn't allow it. With so much raging from the nations, and so much sin throughout the world, it would be easy to think that this king mentioned in Psalm 2, is just symbolic. Just a figurine of sorts who doesn't have real power or presence. Unlike shadow boxing where punches are thrown and moves are made that are all fake and occasionally it's accidentally real and a punch is landed, King Jesus isn't feigning. He is reigning. And he is the solution to the problem of the nation's raging and the problem of sin. Well, we know that this king is real because there is so much that points to him. Now this is exciting. We've got so many scriptures that point us to Jesus' redemption and reign. Starting right after the first sin in the garden. we God is delivering his curse to the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3.15, it says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. (laughs) Jesus is the offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. That we read about way back in Genesis 3. Right at the outset. We hear of redemption coming from the seed of the woman. Though the nations are raging, we know that God has provided a solution. Let's go back to Genesis again in chapter 49, verse 10, where we get an early glimpse of the promised king. And we see that the nation's obedience and redemption ultimately come through him. Now some background for those that are unfamiliar with this part of the story in the Bible. After sin entered creation in the Garden of Eden, it was bad news for all creation. All creation groaned and fell and it's broken now. And all of it sort of inherited this rebellion against God. Things weren't after that and aren't currently as they should be. We read it We read that verse in Genesis 3 about promised redemption. And here are more details about how that redemption will come about. Follow me here. A little while after the garden incident, God makes a covenant with a guy named Abraham, telling him he's going to bless the whole world through his offspring. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. The promise keeps moving down through Abraham's family line. And in these verses in Genesis 49... Jacob is speaking blessings over his sons, who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what Jacob says to his son Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the nations. (laughs) One day the nations will live in obedience To the one from Judah's family who holds the scepter. The nations won't be in rebellion forever, and this is good news. Now, some will remain in rebellion, and we'll see that addressed in a minute. But the nations will have access to redemption through somebody from Judah's family tree. God will provide redemption. Now, there is more that points to this king that we read about in Psalm 2. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 14 and 16, God makes this covenant with David, who is from the tribe of Judah, saying this, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. <laughs> now, if you know anything about David and his the rest of his family, we know that he was really imperfect. We heard about it last week in Psalm 32. We know his sons and grandsons and on down the family line really messed things up. Now, while Psalm 2 is first a coronation song for David, ultimately here, we're pointed to Jesus as the promised anointed one coming from David's line whose throne will be established forever. Now, many New Testament authors in the Bible interpret these verses from our psalm today to be about Jesus. Listen to this in Hebrews 1.5. The author combines Psalm 2.7 from our text and 2 Samuel 14 that I just read. Speaking of Jesus says this, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. (laughs) The son who is a king on the throne forever is Jesus. Pointed to in the Old Testament, affirmed by the New Testament, the nations are raging, but God's king is reigning. And we have assurance that God is working to deal with the problem of the nations and individuals raging against him. He has sent his son, an offspring of the woman, an heir of Judah and David, to be our king. And when God sent his son to earth, he died on the cross for our rebellion. In dying, he paid our penalty. He was a substitute for us, dying in our place. And now, through faith, redemption is offered to all who would receive Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, freeing us from bondage to sin. And Jesus came to make right. Everything that's wrong in creation. Do you see why God can laugh when the nations rage against him? He set as king in Zion, his holy hill. To Jesus will be the obedience of the nations. Because of his redeeming reign. Despite the nations best efforts at rebelling and overthrowing God's government. It cannot be done. Right now, we live in an evil age where Satan, God's enemy, is prowling, Scripture says, like a roaring lion, seeking to devour anybody who bears God's image. Now, Satan does this by leading astray the nations, by deceiving them to follow their own path, to make a way apart from God, to burst his bonds apart, and to, to tear his cords away from them. The remedy for those who will not submit to God's loving redemption is pointed to in verse 9 it says you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel the king reigns with a scepter of iron the nations are compared to a potter's vessel a clay pot. The nations are frail to oppose his iron scepter. The destruction of the nations is the result of their refusal of God's loving rule and reign. We have some scripture that speaks of a time when Jesus the King will finally, and for all eternity judge, The rebellious nations. Revelation 19, verses 15 and 16. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this hasn't happened yet. We know that God will deal with disobedient nations and individuals in their moment, like we read of Sennacherib. But this apocalyptic vision of of the King of Kings ruling with the rod of iron will be carried out one day. Our king is not feigning. This is sobering. It's so sad. Honestly, I think it should devastate Christians, that some will perish eternally. But it's the good news that they have a chance of redemption. No one can earn that. It's offered by the king. Because of God's sovereign love and grace, peoples and nations who don't know God will come to know God. Disobedient people groups will have access to God. (laughs) Through the line of Abraham and Jacob and Judah and through King David's throne on which Jesus sits today, we have access. Though the nations rage and the people's plot in vain, God has made a way to be made right with him, a way to submit to him through his king who's seated on the throne. As we read these verses today, we live in the now and not yet reality. Jesus has come. Jesus died and rose from the dead, paying the penalty and defeating the bondage to sin and death. And we can experience fellowship with him now through faith. We're no longer mastered by sin. It doesn't control us who are in Christ. But we await the moment that scripture points us to where his reign will be fully realized at his second coming. Church, this is what we announce as his people. We announce the reign and the redemption of the king. The king who is seated on the throne and who will come again to make all things new and right again. Listen to this beautiful vision of this king from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. This is Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. (laughs) On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wow. What a vision. What a reality. What a picture of God's anointed king who sits on the throne to rule for eternity. Providing redemption for all who place their faith and trust in him. The government will be on his shoulder of the increase of his government and of peace No end. This is the king. This is the government that we can hope in. And take refuge in. The nations are raging. God's sovereign rule is reigning through his king who is not feigning. And his refuge is unchanging. Number four. Verses 10-12. through Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. The psalmist is written in the first stanza of the nations raging and plotting against God. We considered how we are easily drawn to find our hope and refuge in places other than God. This is sin. The second stanza stanza pointed to God's sovereignty as he set his king in Zion. In the third stanza, we saw that the king is reigning and he provides redemption. And finally, in this last stanza, we see the writer call on the kings and rulers to humble themselves. And to serve the Lord with fear so that they would find refuge in Him. It's an invitation to find themselves a place of refuge in Him. Verses 10 and 11 really resemble another verse that's familiar to many of us. Proverbs 1-7 says this, The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Serve the Lord because you understand His power and position to destroy you if you don't. This means it's wise, I think, to serve Him. We read the the term "kiss the sun" in verse twelve. The significance of a kiss is that it was a sign of honor, respect, and worship. Even it's a sign of submission. To kiss the sun is to accept Him and to accept his rule and his reign. Now we need to ask ourselves what it means for a king or a ruler to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling to kiss the sun. This is an area that we need to speak carefully about. The presence of the sun doesn't point to a perfect political reign by an earthly kingdom now, that won't happen, the perfect kingdom, until Christ returns and makes a new heavens and a new earth. And he's the ruler, like we read about in Isaiah 9. The presence and appointment of the sun points to his ongoing reign that one day will be fully consummated when he returns. So what does it look like for earthly rulers to kiss the sun now? Does it look like when Donald Trump walked into a church meeting in Washington, D.C., in front of cameras and the gathered assembly on a Sunday morning to receive prayer? Or was it when Joe Biden attended uh, his Catholic Mass recently? The obvious answer should be <laughs> no to either of those scenarios or really any like them. It looks like governance and ruling that accepts God's natural law and advocates for laws that uphold order and restrain evil and promote good. 1 Peter 2, Romans 13, detail really God's authority given to government and what what they should do. Now, pragmatically, I think this is one of the easiest areas to be impatient as a Christian. Especially, probably, in America. Many of us has, have been taught to think of America as God's nation. It isn't, really. To any, to any extent, more than any other nation is. He uses them all. Scripture is replete with examples of this. Wicked or less wicked, he uses them for his purposes. Proverbs 21.1 says this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Now we are impatient and we want our government to rule perfectly. But there's a futility to government on this side of heaven. Government's role is simple. Restrain evil. Promote good. But don't forget 1 Corinthians 7.31. This world in its present form and the governments that rule it, I added the governments that rule it part, are passing away. Even the best of governments this side of Christ's return are going to mess it up. We need to stop expecting refuge from worldly governments. That won't happen until, uh, perfectly until the, Christ returns. So what are we supposed to do about imperfect kings and rulers, presidents, and legislators? Pray for them. If prayer seems insignificant, remember that when you pray, you're bowing before the God whose hands hold the heart of the king. It is not insignificant to pray. First Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2.1 First of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving may be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray for our legislators to govern in ways that promote justice for all people. And we can pray that we might be able to live a quiet and godly life proclaiming our king. Use what little political capital. We way overestimate the political clout that every one of us has. It's part of the American message. Use what little political capital you have for justice and righteousness. Yes. As a Christian, do you want to be associated with a political party if it means that a bunch of lost people that don't know the king are going to be less likely to listen to me speak about the true king? Consider the missionaries that I mentioned earlier or the two that we've just sent out recently. In fact, I can't think of a missionary that I've ever known that ever said something like this. I cannot wait to get to that country overseas that's filled with people who've never heard of Jesus so I can vote. Never heard that from a missionary. Or something like, boy, it'd be great to get over there and get them a new government. We can pray for that. We should. Scripture tells us to pray for that. But we go to announce the king. And don't think that the world is going to be saved through your political candidate's election to office. That's the culture's message. Because that's the only refuge they have without Christ. What they're longing for. What we are longing for is Christ's perfect rule. Hope in that. Wait patiently for that. Announce that to the ones that you love. The reason that we can announce with confidence is because of the promise that this psalm closes with. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is a call for all to find refuge in Jesus Christ. This idea of refuge is developed further throughout the Psalms. Psalms 511. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Or think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. They were supposed to bow and serve Nebuchadnezzar's idols and worship his gods or risk death in the fiery furnace. And they refused because Nebuchadnezzar was not their refuge. God was their refuge. And we all need a refuge, don't we? We need a safe place. We need a safe place from God's wrath against sin. We've been offered that in Jesus. We need a safe place from the evil one who seeks to lead us astray and devour us through sin. We've been offered that in Jesus. And we need a safe place from our ongoing struggle against sin that we all experience this side of heaven. We've been offered that in Jesus. And we need a refuge from the storm. We need a rock of ages, a cleft for thee to hide ourselves in. Now, many of you have with joy accepted the offer of refuge in Jesus. You've put your faith in Christ as your Savior. And you live your life by faith in him and excitedly await his return. Keep trusting his sovereign rule. Don't seek refuge elsewhere from lesser gods. And some of you have yet to accept the offer of the king to be your refuge. His offer isn't free. It cost him his life. And it'll cost you your idols. You've got to leave them behind. You can't live for them anymore. Your life is lived for Christ when you follow him. Now, when we lose ourselves for his sake, we find infinitely more than we lost. And despite your sin and the shame that it brings, he will receive you with joy and thanksgiving. And you will find a refuge that will not be shaken. Follow Jesus. Put your faith in him today. Please stand as I close in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the king that you sent and put on the throne. We're thankful for redemption in him. We're thankful that we have hope. And Lord, help us to walk wisely as citizens. Lord, help us to be engaged in the right way, in a way that promotes justice and righteousness and good governance.